This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Josh Smith and welcome to Rain. This podcast is all about empowerment and open conversations with incredible guests. So let's get straight into it. Today, we're joined by my new hero, Sabrina Alba. Sabrina is the definition of a multi-hyphenate. She's the co-founder of her well-being brand, Sable Labs, with her husband, Idris Alba. She's a model and a podcaster, and she's an incredible activist too. You won't believe how much inspiring work she does, and I can't wait for you to hear Sabrina's incredible thought-provoking words about the climate crisis, FGM, and more. We recorded this episode live as part of the Jam Supernova Selects events at Southridges, which are all about celebrating culture, fashion, music, and expression. And we got into all those topics in this episode too. So big thanks to Jams and Southridges for having us. It was amazing to be surrounded by so many people in the Rain family for this episode, which is all about exactly that family. And one of the most beautiful moments in this episode is where Sabrina said she subconsciously has been trying to create a better world for the little girl her mum was. What a woman. This series of events is all about celebrating fashion, music, culture. And this is actually the first time we've ever met, isn't yeah, it? Right it is. on this day. Well, about 15 minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. Give or <laughs> so take. This is basically like our first day. And I always think the best way you can tell if you're compatible with someone is when you find out what their CD collection was when they were a teenager. <laughs> I need to know what was in that CD collection. I know you're still listening to it. Writing on the Wall, Destiny's Child, for sure. Yes. That was like my funk. But I also had this cassette, Will Smith cassette, that I played like on repeat, like when it was Welcome to Miami on it. What was it called, that album? I can't remember. Spice World. Oh, my okay. God. Us in Canada admired everything about the UK. Like my mom went to the UK and I was like, can you go to this store called Buffalo? Because I found out that's where Spice Girls got their shoes. And then <laughs> bring me those platforms. Like I just like investigated the shit out of that. So I was obsessed with anything to do with the UK. So it's funny that I live here now. Yeah. yeah. So you basically are living out your Spice Girls fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. My scary Spice fantasy. <laughs> that's who I was. Baby or scary. Yeah. I yeah. see your whole type. <laughs> And I mean, obviously, it's also Fashion Month at the moment, too, in case you didn't know in the room. And I mean, you are a fashion queen. Let's get real. I mean, you've been on the cover of Vogue. Hello. You've also served on every red carpet going. We're talking the Oscars. We're talking the Met Gala. Where have you not been, babe? 
I want to know. She's outside. She's. (laughs) (laughs) She's outside, always doing the most and always slaying. The most. Is there a fashion regret that you have looking back at your back catalogue, excluding the buffalo boots? Just one. No, there was a point in time where I had no idea what I was doing, okay? And I would think, oh, whatever, Idris is in the spotlight. And then one day I woke up and saw this picture of myself. I can't remember what it it was exactly. I think it was like this blue dress of a designer friend I love, so I'm not even going (laughs) to say who it is. And I was starting to wear wigs again, and wigs don't look good on me, okay? And I was like, oh, my God. I'm never doing that again. I need to, like, get in shape or, like, do something. And it's like you have these moments and you're like, it, it just clicked and I was like, I'm going to own this fashion thing. And since then, I have been trying my bum off Yeah. because it takes so much effort. And everyone that's like, oh, my God, you look so nice. I was like, yeah, it took me five hours. <laughs> <laughs> I should look really easy. good after five hours, guys. You know how much I paid. <laughs> I don't look good. Um, but I do enjoy it. I love it. It became this kind of like I've always had an admiration for fashion, but there's fashion and then there's like fashion, mm. you know, and and. Now it's like I try to explain to Idris every time he asks me, why the hell are you going? Because you complained so much last time. I'm like, okay, it's like going to like the, the cup and then there's these coaches and then there's the teams and the coaches are like the designers and then the teams are the atelier and then you see the models of the players and you're like cheering for your like favorite team. It's serious business. Yeah. And he's like, okay, you're crazy. I love <laughs> you like, treat you like don't sports. Understand. Yeah, it's yeah. like sports. But it totally is kind of, you know, you, you build these like connections with the designer they don't even know who you are and you just want them to succeed. So I feel like sports is the only other thing I can think of that's kind of like that, right? Yeah, I love that. And what do you think has been your biggest slay, do you think? <gasps> oh yeah, I love that we're even talking about the fact that I had a slay. Okay, I, mean, I had, I had a. a slay. <laughs> Oscars, I think. I had this custom green Stella McCartney and I will say it's a slay because it's it was a... So, to get a custom look for anything, like that's like, that's kind of a big deal. And I was in Paris and Stella's a friend and I went as she was preparing for the show to her sort of like her showroom and they were like, there was models walking, like it was serious business. I was so like, what am I doing here? And I saw this dress hanging and I was like, oh my God, I love that dress. And like, oh, we were thinking about using it and and then Stella goes, you know what? It's for you. You like it, it's for you. And I was like, oh my God, I put it on. I did a little walk. I cried. And then I wore it to the Oscars. And I think that made it this like huge moment for me to, first of all, I have so much respect for Stella. I mean, what a powerful woman. Mm. So to wear anything that she's created or handpicked kind of gives you this feeling of like, oh my God, she likes me. And then to wear it to like, you know, such a massive carpet, I was just, that was surreal. I mean, what a moment. And also to do it with your friends as well. That's always so special, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I think so. And the relationships I've built in fashion over the years now make it so much more a thing that I enjoy. Like it's, you know, it feels so much more than just buying something or loaning something. It's it's a passion. Yeah. And I mean, we're not just here to discuss your CD collection (laughs) or your major fashion moments. One of the reasons I'm so excited to sit down here with you today and share your story with everyone is... You are such an amazing activist. You are so empowering. I mean, guys, get ready for these credits because this is insane. I'm going to read them out. Not only are you... I'm going to go over there. Yeah, you can go over there, like (laughs) hide in the corner and then come back. Um, You are not only a UN Goodwill ambassador. You campaign for gender equality across the world, promoting empowerment for women and girls worldwide. 
You also work with Farm Africa, Conversation International, as a board member on environmental issues, you're co-chair of the European Board for the Global Citizen, and you're also an ambassador for Mother to Mothers and a patron for Storm, a domestic violence charity. And you've also set up your own Alba Hope Foundation. And you, okay, also, this is a great one. You've also awarded the Time 100 Impact Award for your work. Let's just have a massive round of applause for that, because we talk about on this podcast all the time about, we talk about on this podcast all the time about using your voice, and you are someone who does it time and time again. And I want you to know what made you the game changing person you are sitting here today? Big question. Wait, first of all, thank you. You hear it all like that. I'm yeah. like, how do I have any the CV time? Is I don't know. The CV is getting pretty packed. But if I want to be remembered for anything, it's for how I've contributed or, or how I've given back. So the fact that you're even saying that like makes me feel like, oh my gosh, okay, something's something's right. Um, but it was because of my mom. Like, and I and I say that a lot, but it's so true because I think back and she was such a vocal person, having grown up in a rural. Um, lifestyle, a pastoral lifestyle that she remembered as so beautiful and peaceful and then watching it kind of fall apart um, when the Civil War happened in Somalia and then, you know, never being able to go back to what she remembered. She always had this passion to give back to Africa. And she would make us go to, like, food banks to volunteer, like, at the masjid. Like, you know, I'm I'm a Muslim woman and we'd be every Friday, like, handing things out. Like, she was so passionate about advocacy and giving back. And, I mean, she was writing letters to prime ministers before, you know, there's social media. Like, she cared so much and still does. And I think I always kind of resisted the fact when people would be like, oh, you're going to be, oh, everyone turns into their mom, or you're going to grow up and be like, I'm totally my mom. (laughs) Like, I am the person who is writing a letter at, like, Sainsbury's now, okay? (laughs) Like, I'm passionate about everything, and that is from her. Like, my friends used to joke because we'd go to Costco. You guys, you, there's Costco here. Yeah, there's Costco here. And, like, on the top shelf, there's always be something. My mom was the person that would climb up because she didn't want to ask for help. And, like, my girlfriends would be like, oh my God, that's going to be you in five years because you're just always going to be trying to get something or help someone or do something. And I was like, oh, I am my mom. What totally. are you letters to Sainsbury's about, babe? <laughs> <laughs> what are we complaining about? It's a bit of a quarrel at the moment. We won't get into that. I'm not banned. I can still go to Sainsbury's. It's all right. Good to know. <laughs> the nectar card is still in your yeah. wallet. Stunning. Yeah. Um, what kind of conversations did you have with your mum about advocacy, especially when she talked about mm. where she came from and the kind of way that she then ended up having to leave her country, her homeland? You know, it's so interesting. I didn't have the conversations, really. And I know that's going to sound weird, but my mom was actually trying to protect me mm. so much from some of the stuff that she was going through or facing. And I was actually having a conversation this morning, and I was thinking about it. For instance, I am a huge advocate against FGM which is female genital mutilation. It's quite common in Somalia, but actually happens all around the world. I knew my mom was a victim, but I was, um, is it the House of Commons it's called? Yep. Yes, House of Commons. Emma, it was House of Commons, wasn't it? <laughs> Still learning, guys. I've only been here seven years, not a long time. Um, and I was there advocating and speaking with some of the survivors, and they were talking about the difficulties uh, during childbirth because of what they'd gone through. And I call my mom, and I was like, oh, mom, you know, some of the people I are talking to had gone through this, and she's like you don't even know that I almost died giving birth to you. And I just like immediately was like, what? (laughs) 
like these conversations we didn't have because she was trying to protect me. I still fell into, you know, advocating for things that had happened to her because I think subconsciously what I was doing was trying to create a better world for the little girl that my mom was mm. without even knowing it. And, you know, kind of knowing it because I knew that she'd been through these things. But it's so hard to have these conversations with your parents. Like, you know, they're emotional ones. And, oh, man, I cannot tell you that day. I was just like, I just want to do so much more. I can do more. It's not enough. And there's so many people like her who just, like, suffer in silence because they have to be or need to be powerful because the world doesn't give them a leg up, you know? And... Um, my mom is a massive inspiration in my life, mm. if you can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also amazing when you kind of grow as an adult, you start to have those more important conversations with your parents, don't you? And it's such yeah. a powerful thing when you actually stop necessarily becoming the child in a way and you become almost like their equal and you're like, oh, wow, like you've lived a life. Yeah, yeah, totally. But then you realize they also never stop parenting. <laughs> yeah, never. <laughs> I'm like, I can make my own breakfast. Thank you. <laughs> Don't knock on my door at seven. <laughs> um, but you're so right. Like, I think she's shaped my whole world. And the woman I've become now is because of the sacrifices that she gave for us. And if anything, anytime I bring her to an event to be like, eh, look what I'm doing. She's like, yeah, I did that. I understand. <laughs> I'm like, oh, darn. Okay. Can you remember when you first used your voice or when you first really stood up? When I first up? complained about something? <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go through the Sainsbury's email. Okay, okay. <laughs> back catalog. Um, but when was the first time you can remember really using your voice? Yeah, you know, oh, there was this speech I had to do. We had just become UN Goodwill Ambassadors. This isn't the first time I used my voice, but this is the first time I felt like, oh my God, people are listening to yeah. my voice. And IFAD is a, a food agency based in Rome, and they look at rural people, um, or support rural people, I mean, by building uh, infrastructure around agriculture, helping them you know, build food security rather than just a kind of more typical aid model. Um, it's something that's approached as an investment. So you invest in rural people when you support IFAD. So they have these massive replenishment years. So every other year, they invite governments, who obviously all take part, um, and pledge basically. And it's, you know, it, it's mutually beneficial because IFAD is uh, obviously getting more funding, but for the governments, they need to invest at home in agriculture. It doesn't matter if you're global south, global north. I'm standing in front of all these members of government, like these ministers, and, you know, the speech has to start like, dear excellencies and distinguished guests. And, and I had I this like... I would be bricking it at that point. I'd be like, I can't do it. Oh, I was bricking it for sure. Like, Three minutes in, I think I started just like forget. You know when you're driving and then you forget you're driving? <laughs> and at the end, you're like, oh, how am I home? Like it turned into that. <laughs> Sorry, that doesn't happen in London, does it? No, you see, in Canada, we have really long, big roads. You forget, okay? In London, you're like a cat, a dog, a person, a bus, yeah. a taxi. Don't get behind the wheel with Sabrina Alba, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Key um, learnings. And then... At the end of it, I was like, oh my God, did I talk? Did I say anything? And I was just, I was so nervous. I think I was literally sweating. And then everyone was like, oh, great, you did great. And I was like, oh, I'm never doing that again. But then I did it like every week after that. So, but it was the first time that I remember thinking, holy smokes, people want to hear what I have to say. Mm. And the fact that I'm standing up here and asking people to give more and do more, and then they might actually do it. There's, there's power in that. And I remember this conversation I had with my mom, like, way back and I know I'm you know I, uh, getting distracted now but I'm just it's just reminding me of this conversation we had she was like 
getting at me for not wanting to write this op-ed because I was like, why does anyone care? Why am I writing this op-ed? Like, they just know he's going to say like, Idris Elba's wife or whatever. And she like, I could, she wanted to slap me. <laughs> like, so upset she was. And she was like, do you not understand how privileged you are? How privileged you are to be able to talk to anyone and share anything? That's such a privilege to be able to use your voice. Like, mm -hmm. don't ever think you shouldn't. And I was like, oh, okay, thanks. And that kind of like brought me to my senses a bit because I think she's so right. And sharing information and sharing opinion, I mean, that's the core of advocacy. Mm. You know, it's if you can make it in the room, you're 50% of the job done. You need to show up. And that's just resonated with me. Mm. That's so powerful. And you always continuously, through your work, campaign for people who can't necessarily show up for themselves or have their voices quieted. Have you ever felt that your voice is being quieted in your life? Oh, interesting. I mean, look, I'm a black Muslim woman, so yeah. <laughs> but I think when I say that in interviews, because people have asked me, you know, oh, you're here speaking. I'm always like, I always make sure to say I'm here speaking um, with, because I never liked the idea of someone standing this kind of, you know, we see this savior type model annoyingly a lot speaking for. I think it's so important to speak with people, you know, and, and take other people's perspectives and considerations and life experiences on that stage with you because we're never just speaking for ourselves. We're speaking for each other. Um, and I try and think about the times that I do speak out for myself that way. Uh, so if anyone ever does try and like squash my opinion, I'm like, huh, I've got the whole world behind me, okay? Mm. Like, I'm not the only one that thinks this. And I think it gives you this kind of like power to, to speak up. Yeah, and you do continuously talk about gender bias in your work. When do you think you first kind of realized there was a gender bias and a racial bias in our world? Was there like an awakening moment where you're like, whoa, this world isn't necessarily built for my voice? Yeah. I think um, I noticed it obviously when I was younger as we all do, like who just watched Barbie? Did you guys watch Barbie? We live in the patriarchy, yes. I know. I actually was kind of sad leaving Barbie. I was happy, but I was like, oh, that is so true, you know? Um, but I, and, and obviously, so in that sense, of course, we've experienced it in life. But I remember, um, you know, when we were going up for the, the UN ambassador roles, they kept saying, oh, this is the first time that there's an African doing it in the first time. And I just remember kept thinking, like, so you've been doing this for Africans for how long? And there haven't been African voices representing the Africans. <laughs> like, I was just like, that's so ridiculous mm. to me. And anytime I hear, are oh, you the first African couple on Vogue? You're the I'm just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like me? Like, are you kidding now? What year are we in? So I, I, I kind of hate, and Idris is probably the same school. So we, we, we did this campaign together recently. We kind of say, don't, don't tell us we're the first. We don't want to know. It's, it doesn't matter. Like, let's just keep trucking and not try and celebrate or do anything performative around that because it should be the norm. Yeah. Do you find that very frustrating then in that sense? Yeah, I think so. And it's funny because it's something that probably should be, you know, you would think, oh my God, that's so exciting. You should celebrate. Yeah. But if you really think about it, well, what does it say about where we're at in this world? If it's, it's like this massive gasp moment of two Africans are on the cover of something. Like, mm. you know, okay, well, yeah. we are. It's great. And I think we kind of try and take that. I just started a production company, um, which I'm so excited about. And uh, it's called Pink Towel. 
There's no fancy reason for the name. It's just <laughs> there was a pink towel on the kitchen counter. <laughs> and you were like, great and name. I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> Stunning towel, great name. But I wanted to see and create and curate stories that just normalized the experiences of minorities. Like, it wasn't going to be a trauma thing or trauma porn. It's just going to be normal, boring stories. Not boring, because hopefully they do well. But, like, you know what I mean, right? And I think that that's something that's missing in the world. If we look at you know, movies around the black experience, they're so filled with trauma. Mm. And it's like, okay, we get it, <laughs> you know? And it's important these stories are told, but can we level it out and balance it out with some stories around positivity? And I feel like that, you know, especially around the activism that I do, because I grew up watching those Save the Children ads, like all of us, and I'm East African and got called like a hungry Ethiopian. I'm not even Ethiopian, you know, in high school. And I was like, you need to see... Um, people who represent where you want to be. You need to see, you know, your positive stories about where you're from. Those are just as important. Mm. So trying to level that out a bit. Yeah. That's why representation is so important and it's so powerful. We need to tell so many different stories and not just take it from just like one viewpoint all the time. And we're so guilty so about important. doing that as a society. Yeah, and it's all, all the time. And it's like, we, it's, it's cyclical. It just comes back. There's like this like really great moment of, you know, new stories and new things and then like it's like the world it's like a pendulum instead mm. of you know and it just swings back in the other direction and you know i don't know if the world will ever find itself in this nice balance rather than the pendulum type thing but it tends to happen like that so we just need to keep reminding ourselves of how important representation is this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. One thing you continuously remind people about for your work as well is climate change. Mm. And in case anyone didn't realize, we're in a climate crisis. Um, not to bring the tone down just a notch. <laughs> um, but for your work, you continuously go out and you meet rural women and girls across the world who are so directly impacted by the climate crisis we are currently facing. And it's very easy for us to sit here in this room now and just be like, oh, it's fine. It's not really affecting us. But it is directly affecting people right here, right now in the world that we live in. And you can even see it on the news if you turn it on right now, right? Yeah. From your work and going out and meeting these rural women, what stories really stick with you? Because for your work, you're saying that gender is greatly directly linked to climate crisis, isn't it, and climate change? Yeah, I mean, I never would have thought working in agriculture would have opened my eyes to say conversations mm. around climate or conversations around gender, but it's so interconnected. I mean, when you think about the majority of the global South having to sort of live and uh, depend on the land that they live on and feed off the land that they live on, like food security comes directly from your backyard. 
Um, you know, you have conversations around the barriers that women face if they make up the majority of the informal markets, but they don't have land rights to be able to grow the crops they want to grow. I mean, there's also cultural sensitivities. There's, you know, programs that are being started up, but we're like ages back. And then on top of all of that, they have to figure out if they can even grow anything next month because the weather's different than it was for the past 20 years. I mean, it's so present when you're in the areas that we visit, like in the rural areas in the global south. It is so, so present. There is no denying climate change is here. It's not something that's like five years down the road. I mean, there is a word for it in every language, you know, mm. and that in every armpit in the world. Like, and I mean that by like saying like somewhere super far away or something, right? Like somewhere you wouldn't even think of every little crevice there's an understanding that something needs to happen. And I think that's why recently we've shifted our focus to looking at adaptation. Because you can give and give and give to a community, but if they haven't, you know, and it actually reminds me of a conversation I was having with the CEO lately, and he's like, oh, I heard you do work in agriculture, and you know, just so you know, we pay, we pay fair wages across the board to all of the rural people who help supply. Um, goods for us. And I said, okay, well, what do you do towards the adaptation in those communities? Because it only takes one climate crisis, a flood, something that your wage doesn't matter. You've got nothing, you know? And uh, in Somalia, for instance, there's one of the worst, I think the worst famine that's ever happened. The government won't even call it a famine. And of a, for a country of herders, if you have a catastrophe or a drought or something, you sell your livestock, you have nothing. Like, literally nothing. I think people forget that if you're not building um, resources and, and infrastructure and, and ways for people to adapt to what's coming, which is already here, you're setting them up for failure. And then we hear, oh, there's another famine. There's another... Well, of course there is, because you can't just put a Band-Aid on the problem. You can't just throw money at the situation, mm. which, by the way, it's not to say that aid isn't needed, because, you know, a hurricane happens, immediate relief is needed. But what are we doing to prevent it from happening in the future? And I think it's so easy for you know politicians to say oh we've done this and have donated this much or you know we've supplied this much food and, and resources all right well the conversation needs to be one that's continuous and we find that that doesn't happen mm. sorry i don't even know how i got there <laughs> but like, we are right where we need I'm to be i'm writing letters <laughs> <laughs> oh my god but what you're saying is so important because we talk about activism all the time. We talk about using your voice, but using your voice also has to come with listening. You have to listen to people. And I think that's a skill that we completely neglect in our society, 100%. We do not listen to the people like or on the ground. What have you learned about the power of listening through being an activist and through your work? It's so important because you're forever learning. And if you're mm. not learning, you're doing something wrong because... Every story is so different. Like, I mean, you, you think you understand fertilizer, for instance, and then you go to another conversation, you're like, we would never use that. Or like, I, I, you're constantly learning. Like, I'm even going back to school because I still feel like I'm in these rooms that don't even know enough. Like, I'm, there's so much to learn. Education is so important because we get that from listening to other people, but we found ourselves in this world where we kind of cancel other voices out mm. if they don't fit into our echo chamber. So we find ourselves not learning, I think. And I worry about things like that with like my younger siblings. I'm always thinking they're so scared to say anything now. And they're, and you know, some people will call it like, oh, they're just being so politically correct or whatever. They don't. And I'm like, but actually there's kind of like a box you put yourself in when you do that because I'd rather make a mistake and someone create a safe space for me to make that mistake in than for me to not say anything at all. 
I think listening to each other is so important. Mm, it's so important and it's also realizing we all have a platform. Yeah. Like you could have like 10 followers, you could have no followers, you might not have social media, but you can influence people in your life every single day by yeah, the conversations my mom you here, have. She would tell you 10 is a privilege. Yeah. <laughs> 10 is a privilege. <laughs> it yeah. totally is. It but is. if there's someone sitting here today or listening to this who thinks, do you know what? My voice isn't like, I don't have any power in my voice. I shouldn't use my voice. I'm scared about using my voice. What would you want to say to them? Snap out of it. Yes. <laughs> Because that is so not true. I mean, if you think about all of the people who, this is a very poor example, but like look at a conspiracy theory, for instance. It only takes one person to say that we're all going to, you know, turn into zombies and then another person gets like infected by that misinformation. And like words are so powerful. Send out that tweet. Put that post up. Don't be afraid because, you know, just trust that the community that you have built around you and the friends that you have in your life will tell you, hey, have you thought about this side of it or have you looked at that? And then be willing to change and learn and listen and adapt. And that should be how life is. And I feel mm. like we used to be like that. And now it's kind of that. I don't know. It's just harder. very noisy on either side of the argument, hasn't it? Which yeah. makes everyone so scared to use their voice. But I there's think. room for all the voices. Mm. I think there are. Because it should be this moving, growing thing that, you know, creates spaces to listen and talk at the same time. And, you know, and I think that that's okay. Yeah. And you're not just creating change on a global scale with your activacy. You are also creating change in the beauty industry as well. Yes, you are. Oh. With Sable Labs. The <laughs> Shout out to the team. Who's here. The team over there. Um, now, you created this with your husband, Idris Alba, and it's for all skin types, which is amazing, which is still so rare in the, in the beauty industry, and I can't believe we're still having to have these conversations about inclusive beauty brands, but here we are, <laughs> 2023. What gave you the idea for it? Where did it all come from? Yeah. You know, if I really think back, and, I, and this is probably the, the product of having talked about it quite a bit now, I'm like, oh my God, I was like an angry teenager about beauty. Like I was like watching all of these Neutrogena ads and whatever, and I had like really bad teenage acne, which is fine, but the way I was dealing with it was like burning my face off. And my mom's telling me, stop using that, stop using that, and I didn't care, I was like, I want everything. But I was buying into a lot of these brands that didn't care about me. And mm. when I say that is, you know, melanin-rich skin suffers from generally post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, for instance. And then I'm buying into a brand that's just drying out my skin even further and creating a breeding ground for inflammation, and it just gets worse. And the reason I was doing it was because all of the, the black brands, let's call them, were in like the last stronghold of segregation in the U.S. Like if you go to a Walmart or a Target in the U.S., there's a black aisle. I think that's the case here. I think if you go to Boots, there's like black hair care in a separate aisle. Like... Wait, what? That doesn't even make sense. Mm. Like, the funny thing is, melanin-rich skin is actually quite bougie. We like more moisture. We need better products, better quality ingredients. That's great for everyone. So yeah. if a brand is going to cheap out and remove things like niacinamide, which everyone loves and knows now, for a lower price point, they're doing everyone a disservice, let alone people with melanin-rich skin. And it was that realization of like, oh, there's nothing in the market that I felt that I could buy into because my friends had all this cool stuff on their bathroom counter. I wanted cool stuff on mine. There's nothing that felt like that. And I was like, I, I want to create products that, you know, my younger self would be like, oh, this is cool. I want to have this in my shelf. Mm. And guess what? It caters to everything that my skin needs and is also better for everyone else's. So it was this feeling of like this injustice and this responsibility I kind of grew to create something that 
was like that, but then the funniest thing happened. I'm thinking I've created like this thing in this white space. No one's done this, but no, we became a celebrity brand and we got lumped into this oversaturated category. And I was like, what? How did you <laughs> feel about second. that labeling of your product? No, it was in that so way. frustrating because when we were developing and like, let's be honest, it was like every week, it was like every day. And then there'd be someone else saying, oh, I've created a brand. And I was like, did we all think of this at the same time? Like, was it like Anna's water at the Met Gala that she gave us that we were all like, mm, we're going to put out a beauty brand. <laughs> like, you know, that it was, was so weird. That was powerful at the Met Gala, clearly. Right? What are they serving us? I don't know. And it was just so funny. But it was, it was frustrating because we felt like the formulations lost their credibility in a sense. And, mm. you know, we worked our bums off. Like, the fact that Idris knows what tronic acid is... <laughs> It took work, <laughs> okay? It took work. And we go to the chemist with these amazing formulations. Like, we're, we didn't white label. There's no investment. We are a family-run business. Do not call us a celebrity brand because we did this because we care. And to call it that felt like it was taking away the passion that mm. we put into it, if that makes sense. And when you were at that moment when you were like, I'm going to create this brand, and you're at that, like, that edge when you're about to dive in, did fear of failure to take birth. go for at any point? Is that what it felt like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was so nervous. And we actually delayed a bit. And then we delayed a little bit more. <laughs> because everything goes wrong. Like literally everything goes wrong. And then you realize, okay, just calm down. And then we found, you know, Emma. <laughs> who we poached, um, who's the, like one of the third Elvas. <laughs> You've adopted um, her. Yeah, and realize, and like two of my best friends work with me as well, and, and you realize you just need to surround yourself with like people who care because it's always going to come down to, you know, you think no one cares as much, but actually if you put yourself in a room of people who do, then everyone's got your back. It was terrifying. Mm. It was really terrifying, especially for me. Like I, I never thought I had an entrepreneurial bone in my body. Like, you know, I'm immigrant family. I had to be a lawyer, a doctor, no exceptions, you know? So um, for my mom, when I was like, oh, I'm, I'm launching a beauty brand, she's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, get to law school. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had. I took my LSAT and everything, so she thought I was like going. She was, she was like, come on. <laughs> but I think now she's like, it's funny, because at the beginning she did the mm-hmm, and now she's like, yeah, I taught you all of that. <laughs> And it's kind of true, annoyingly, because a lot of the hero ingredients that we use are African botanicals found throughout the continent. And I watch my mom like do these DIY masks. Like she didn't know what Sephora was, so I didn't think she was cool. But she was making this like vessel mask or turmeric mask and powerful antioxidants. And antioxidants are so important for fighting inflammation in our skin, right? Um, and I, now she's like, yeah, you put us in there because I taught you that. And I'm like, oh, you did. <laughs> so I'm, I'm owning that, that side of it as well. And I think it's so cool to see like this rise in a beauty. Um, and I like to think that we're like helping champion that because there's amazing ingredients throughout Africa. And then also helping to build some of that infrastructure along the way, because working in agriculture, the last thing you want to do is not know where your ingredients are coming from, particularly when you know how they affect people, like the shea industry, for instance, that no one wants to talk about. And I keep saying, and I'll keep shouting it, like people are dying sourcing shea, or women are dying sourcing shea for brands. And shea is in everything. Shea is in your, your you know, Nivea. Like, it's literally in everything. It's such mm. a massive industry. And because big conglomerates don't necessarily care, it's going to take us little brands to be like, hey, we need fair trade skincare. Where are your ingredients coming from? Let's talk about responsible sourcing. So for us to be able to do that now, that feels, that feels so powerful. Mm. And it's also so important because wellness and the skincare industry has been so whitewashed 
for so long and yeah. it's so important to push that dial isn't it yeah totally or it's so performative because it's like you have this you know gorgeous black model on your ad but you don't have any ingredients that support her skin mm. type like I, I i always thought that was so weird i don't know i think we let the big guys get away with it for too long yeah and then Did. At the end of the day, you are also still working with your husband. Now, I love my boyfriend, but I don't think we could ever set up a brand together because I think it would cause World War X. Um, how do you manage that? <laughs> do I? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You know, I ha and, I, and I've said this before, I have to set up super clear boundaries, okay? I got to go to his assistant. <laughs> How's that feel to have to go to your Not nice. <laughs> not nice. But you know what? I get it because it's not like at midnight when we're cuddling in bed. I can be like, you know that work email <laughs> that came in an hour ago? No. We've got to set parameters and boundaries. Work is work. If I want to plan a date night, I can do it through him. If I want to plan work. And you know what? Now he comes through my assistant too. So it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> I've got one now too. It works you know, both ways. It works both ways, exactly. Maybe that's the answer. You guys want to work together. You just need good PAs. Tom, get a PA. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work towards that goal. And I think, but I think it was so amazing that you stand for in creating this company with your husband is that you stand for an amazing, empowering couple who empower each other as individuals. Oh. And that is what's so amazing about a positive relationship, isn't yeah. it? Is that what you've learned? Have you learned that a positive relationship is empowering each other to become the best person you can be? I love that. We should have used that as a tagline for our podcast. Trademarking. <laughs> <laughs> Writing it down. Um, no, so we started this podcast called Couple Dumb because for that very reason, we cared so much about the importance of community and partnerships. And it wasn't just about romantic couples. It was like family and business and best friends and two people in life who were just getting through it together and empowering each other to create this amazing moment, amazing business, amazing, you know, whatever. And we found it fascinating. Like we soaked that stuff up. I wanted to say shit again. And now I just said it again anyways. But, you can swear this is uh, a swear uh, Okay, good. Podcast. Okay, good. Don't worry. We wanted to soak that shit up because we were <laughs> newlyweds and like, oh my God, stuck together. <laughs> during COVID. <laughs> so, you know how that was for a lot of couples, right? It was make or break. So yeah. we were like, let's talk to some people. <laughs> <laughs> let's maybe reach out to some other yeah, people. Yeah, you know, let's see how they're doing it. That's okay. <laughs> and we did. It, it started online as Together Tuesdays. We were so creative, right? And we Love the alliteration, babe. Thank you. Stunning. Do you want to borrow the name? Uh, um, you borrow it. Yeah. We could call this. It's not Tuesday. It's it? not Tuesday. It's Wednesday. It's is it Wednesday? Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday. Is it Wednesday? Okay. Yeah. Well, together Wednesday. <laughs> um, and then we interviewed amazing people like Ben and Jerry's. I mean, kings. Right? Yeah. Queens. Yeah. Um, just because that's cooler. Sorry. But talking to them about how they saw business as like this tool to do good. Like how inspiring. Talk to Kim Kardashian, her mom, Kris Jenner. Like, oh my God. So cool, like some of the most amazing conversations we've ever had. And funny enough, the consistent thread in all those conversations was about self-love. Mm. You need to, to have this relationship with yourself that is a good one before you can talk to anyone else or have a relationship with anyone else. And it was part of the reason we started Sable Labs as well, because we realized that self-care needed to become selfless. Yeah, and I think through everything you've spoken about today, kind of the root of everything you do, correct me if I'm wrong, is it family? Is family the thing that inspires you? Because you've come from a smiley heritage and family is such a big thing and it's such a specific version of family. Oh my 
God. And now yeah. you're creating a blended family as well. Like, how important is family to you? Is it the bedrock of you everything? You made me cry. I love family. Come join my family. No, I'm so Canadian <laughs> like that. We're just one big family, you know? Like, it's like, it's all I talk about. Like, I have two brothers and two sisters, and they're the cutest, sweetest people. Like, they would probably hate that I called them cute, but they're just so, like, I love the idea of family. And I think it's also part of just, you know, being East African. We just have a lot of kids generally so mm. <laughs> I have like 150 cousins and you know family to share with everyone I love community I love you know people used to say to us when we were younger I feel we're of the same generation you might be really young no we're the Let same me not. Well, I think we're like the same age maybe are yeah. you millennial yeah millen very millennial oh you could yeah. you have a baby face <laughs> oh my god stop you could you, you could be Gen Z thank you so much the skin is skinning Gen Z yeah you could biggest compliment of the week okay. thank you I'll give it. Is, is it a car? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm no kidding. I love Gen in the house. It's fine. <laughs> you are the kind of person you meet when you immediately meet them. You're like, I need to know every single last thing you use on your face. I'm, oh, I'm so like taken aback by the fact. You're I started working out. It sounds so sad because I'm 35. I started working out like seriously like two months ago, and then my skin went crazy. So you've only just started working out two months ago. Are you making fun of me? No, I'm just, I'm just like, wow. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. Anyways, no, I had this like big shoot coming up and I was like, I can work out twice a day for two months because, you know, that's what you yeah. do. Whatever. Anyways, I took it like super seriously. And then I had a breakout and I was like, this is why I don't work out. <laughs> and it was like my skin didn't know what to do with itself. But anyway, so I thank you for saying that now because yeah. it was a little bit of like a journey and I took a week and a half off and actually my trainer's here. <laughs> She's probably like laughing at me. Hi, <laughs> Sean. Um, I like coming to the gym. I do. <laughs> it's just not good for my skin, okay? I bought all these like sani sprays that you put on your face after, like like face friendly sani, basically. <laughs> like I was like, I'm gonna spray this again and again. Anyways, it's leveled out now. Drama. Drama's <laughs> over. I wrote a letter. <laughs> I just love how you literally like, I can't do this because of my skin. When he's like, one more burpee. And you're like, no. But, I'm, but the good thing was, I developed a range that helps you with post-inflammatory exactly. hyperpigmentation. How convenient was that? That is so convenient. So convenient. I know. So I, had, I was like, you know, I had all the guns and whatever reference you want to use. I had a full <laughs> weapon range. You're literally ready. turning up to the gym with a full bag just full of beauty products. In fact, I'm going to stock it in the gym now. Yeah. Like, no joke. Like, we had to talk with the owner. We're like, you need stuff <laughs> in yeah. the gym. All gyms should come ready with, like, all of the things. Now that I'm a gymmer, mm. I can say that. Like, you need so many things in the gym. Like, you I don't do. know what people have been doing. Yeah. Mine is the hairdryer. If it doesn't have a nozzle on the hairdryer at the gym, I'm like, please. Wait, well, like, if it's a... Like, you know when they just don't come with a nozzle? I'm just picturing you, like, drying your hair. Yeah, like, but <laughs> you know what I mean? I love it. Do you mean, like, what do you mean? Like, it's like the, you, the no, hand no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I am definitely not drying my hair on the hand dryer. Imagine. <laughs> How does it not have a nozzle? I mean, like, you know when you got the hair dryer? Okay. And you put the nozzle on it? Because I kind of feel like the basic hair dryer, when it just oh. blows at you, is not okay. It needs to be a concentrated blow. Oh, you're blow. bougie with the hair Don't dryer. Don't take that into a... I love... Do you, like, bougie. diffuse? Or you, like, just a straight blow? Just, like, like, a straight, like, nozzle. <laughs> works for me. This is in 
important stuff, okay? Yeah, this is <laughs> it's more important than agriculture is, this is more hair dryers and their nozzles. I love it. No, it's it's I I get it. You need your things. Yeah, you and this is stuff. why I, I admire people who can shower after the gym. I want to be that person. I have things to do. Yeah. I have to go home because I need my my stuff. It's a full process. My Dyson yeah. airbrush. You do need the Dyson. And just before we open this... That was not a product plug. <laughs> that was not a product plug. I have a Dyson. But you can sponsor <laughs> us anytime, Dyson, if you like. Give us the money, Give Dyson. The... Hello. In this economy, if you listen to the podcast, you know we always end on this question. And the last question we always ask in every podcast episode is in the reign of your life, what's the one rule you always live by? I should have come prepared. <laughs> I think that's a good note <laughs> to have in answer to that question and also in life. Be prepared. I love that. Yeah. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for coming down to hear us talk tonight. Honestly, it's been such a pleasure to host a live recording of Rain all over again. We haven't done it for like about a year, so it's been so amazing to be in such an empowering room with such amazing people. And make sure you listen to Rain wherever you get your podcasts from, guys. Like, subscribe, and follow. You know. Can I just say, everyone says you're so charming and so nice, but it's so true. You are. If, if you want to be friends... We, babe, we're friends. Can you we listen be friends? to the Spice Girls, we're friends. Yeah. We're now friends. Get your buffalo boots on, babes. We're going out after oh this. Oh my God. Let's open the bar. Let's open the bar. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. Yeah. It means so much that anyone. Woo! <laughs>